0: What's up everybody out there in podcast land? Welcome to the Vestron Video Horror Podcast. I'm your host, JP. This will be a solo cast. I, JP, am a podcaster. I've been known to produce some podcasts and just dabble in the art of podcasting altogether, specifically horror, but I have ventured outside of horror. If you are not familiar with me, let me give you a little bit of background on who I am. Uh, I love horror. I love collecting horror. I love watching horror. I love talking about horror. I love horror so much that I started a podcast, another podcast, another podcast, and the list goes on. My most successful venture is definitely the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror. If you've never heard of it, please check it out. Uh, We are... 100 episodes deep and counting. It is a show that has gained a massive following. It has a lot of listeners, a lot of friends of the show, a lot of listener participation. Uh, it is got an incredible archive. It is just a fantastic thing that I've been a part of. You might have heard of it. Then, I also have the Netflix and Chill Horror Podcast, which I produce as well. Don't know if I said I produce the 22 shots of moods and horror, but I do. Uh, Netflix and chill it's brand new it's cool it's a boy girl perspective on streaming horror films if you've never heard of that please check it out if you're a fan of non-horror stuff too I am a co-host on the married with children podcast all of these can be found on the horror network of podcasts right where you can find this bad boy as well as on iTunes and some of those shows are also on our personal website, my personal website, along with my homie moods, www22 two shots of moods and horror.com. And you can also check me out on YouTube slash Double Shot J. Double Shot J. I also make YouTube videos, been doing that for a long time. So, uh, what is this? This is the Vestron Video Horror Podcast. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So, before I get into what this podcast is all about, what we're going to be covering, what we're going to be talking about, what the whole shtick and spill is of the podcast, I figured I would talk about why. Why did I create this podcast? Why am I creating this podcast as a solo effort? And what are the reasons behind this podcast? Well, it all starts way back in 2012. I was a young collector. I had just really started getting into hardcore collecting. I found YouTube. And shortly after that, Scream Factory, a subsidiary of Shout Factory, was born. And they announced a couple titles. They announced Halloween 2, Halloween 3, Terror Train, Phantasm 2, The Island, The Funhouse, stuff like that. And I was stoked because this was a label for me. I missed out on the labels of the past when Shout Factory was doing the Roger Corman label and back when Anchor Bay was pumping out stuff. I was never around for collecting those releases. So this was the first one that I was going to be part of and that got me so excited as a horror movie collector, as an aspiring horror movie collector, as a passionate fan who loved the genre and was finding out that other people loved it too. I got excited and had I been podcasting at the time, I think that I would have covered these releases as they came out and I even remember thinking about that like midway through scream Factory's run like wow i wish i would have started a podcast on this you know i was podcasting at that time and i was like that would have been really cool i think there are shows that have done that uh just covered every one of scream Factory's releases and that was kind of what i wanted to do and i used to think like if they ever come out with another label if somebody comes out with a cool label uh, i would like to cover all the releases from start to finish now you might be asking yourself well jp why didn't you just start covering scream Factory, start from the beginning and catch up Well, I had thought of that, and I even attempted it in YouTube video form, but it took me way too long to produce the episodes compared to the amount of releases that Scream Factory was pumping out. At this point in time, Scream Factory was releasing six, seven, eight titles a month. They were releasing a ton of contemporary films, and honestly, the label just got too busy for me to even keep up on a collecting front, let alone a coverage front, so that just wasn't an option. But I always thought, If somebody out there ever did another cool label along the lines of Scream Factory in the U.S., I would try to cover those films. Enter 2016 Lionsgate creates Vestron Video. Their first announcement was Chopping Mall, followed shortly thereafter was Blood Diner. These two releases indicated that this was going to be a line. Not only resurrect a dead logo in the Vestron video moniker but they had numbered spines which signifies that it is going to be a line. It is going to be multiple releases on one horror line and that excited me because I was going to be able to cover it from the beginning and also it is Lionsgate. We'll get into that a little bit more later, but just know Lionsgate has a ton of titles that they would not sub-license in their vault, so that got me excited that we were finally going to be able to see a lot of films hit Blu-ray that we wanted for a long time. The excitement did come to a quick halt right after the first announcement of Chopping Mall because my life kind of just got turned upside down. I got really busy Uh, It got really hectic. I just wasn't able to commit to another podcast, let alone my main podcast, 22 Shots of Moods and Horror. It was sort of just all over the place. Everything was going on. It was just a mess. And although I did take a brief step away from podcasting throughout time, uh, I did still have it in the back of my mind that as long as they didn't start pumping out releases left and right and I didn't get too far behind, I would eventually find a way to cover these films. Flash forward to now, my life schedule has cleared up a bit. Uh, I have a few of these releases, and I figure now is the time that I can actually put the energy and focus on these releases to do a podcast. So that is why I'm doing this podcast And now, let's get into what this podcast is. This is a solo cast focusing heavily and exclusively on the Vestron Video Collectors series put out by Lionsgate Home Entertainment. Vestron Video was a main subsidiary of Vestron Inc., which was a home video company based in Sanford, Connecticut that was active from the years 1981 to the years 1992. It is considered to have been a pioneer in the home video market. Vestron was founded in 1981 and constructed on the ashes and the library of a company called Time Life Films. The company was responsible for releases of mostly B-movies and films from the Canon Films Library. The Vestron company also went on to produce and fund their own films, but at the heart of what Vestron is mainly remembered for is their home video releases, where they released tons, and I mean tons, of exploitation, sci-fi, cult, and horror films on VHS that fans still seek out and collect today. Don't believe me, here's a list of just some of their titles. The Incubus, The Manipulator, Future Kill, Alien Warrior, Pieces, Hard Rock Zombies, Trancers, Splatter University, Blood Diner, Death Weekend, Invaders, Terminal Choice. The Kindred, After the Fall of New York, Too Scared to Scream, The Final Terror, Strange Shadows in an Empty Room, Don't Go in the Woods, Eyes of Fire, Sundown, Savage Streets, Red Heat, Soul Survivor, House by the Cemetery, House on the Edge of the Park, Caged Women, Mutant, Sweet 16, The Retrievers, The Company of Wolves, Last House on the Left, Curtains, Burial Ground, Night of the Zombies, The Incredible melting Man. Dolls, Vendetta, The Devil's Gift, October Blood, Slaughter High, Squirm, Death Warmed Up, Kill Point, Amityville 3D, 976 Evil 2, Stranger's Paradise, The Black Room, The Power, Island Claws, Rawhead Rex, Don't Open Till Christmas, The Mutilator, The Last Hunter, From Beyond, The Changeling, Class of 1999, Impulse, Picnic at Hanging Rock, Ghoulies, Ghoulies 2, Ghoulies 3, Life Force, The Unholy, Waxwork. Waxwork 2 The Food of the Gods Scream Bloodsucking Freaks They Came From Within The Evictors Godsend The Layer of the White Worm Reanimated, The Monster Squad Chud 2 Up From the Depths The Hills Have Eyes The Craving Tentacles Jack the Ripper Transmutations Mad Max Scream and Die That was just a small sample of the hundreds and hundreds of horror films that were released under the Vestron video label. Now, as you notice, some of those films that I read off are films that have been released since. You know, from Scream Factory, from Arrow Video, and you know, from other companies out there. Which brings me to my next point. Just because something was released under the Vestron Video label back in the 80s or 90s does not mean that it 100% will be released under the Lionsgate newly formed Vestron Video Collectors Series. Take, for example, films like From Beyond and Dolls. Both of these films were Empire Pictures productions and had VHS releases under the Vestron video line back in the 80s. Well, those films have recently been re released by Scream Factory, and Scream Factory now owns the distribution and sublicensing rights which they got from MGM. A lot of the Empire Pictures ended up with MGM and not Lionsgate, so just because something had the Vestron Video treatment back on VHS, back in the day, back in the 80s, does not mean that Lionsgate still owns the rights. They have switched, so just keep that in mind when you talk about films that you would like to see from Vestron Video, and also... Just because something wasn't released on Vestron Video's VHS line back in the day does not exclude it from getting a Vestron Collector's Series Blu-ray in 2017 and beyond. Because what this actually is, is not a re-issue of those VHS's. It is an entirely new brand. It is rising from the ashes of the old Vestron video brand, its familiarity. And they took a popular logo and basically created a new brand. What can be released is stuff in Lionsgate's vault. So it does not have to have a previous release on VHS from Vestron. And for example, Return of Living Dead 3 which was, I believe, the fourth or fifth release by the Vestron Video Collectors series, never actually had a VHS through Vestron Video. It's never been released by Vestron. So that right there proves the point that just because a film was never released on Vestron does not exclude it from having a Blu-ray in this new collector's line. So what can we see from the Vestron Video Collectors series series? by Lionsgate. Obviously, anything in Lionsgate's vault. Anything that Lionsgate has produced or made or released is eligible. However, most of those films are not retro titles, so I doubt we see a ton of films that of recent years that Lionsgate has produced and released. But Lionsgate also owns the libraries of a couple former uh, studios, and those are Vidmark, Trimark, and Artisan. So, all the films that was released under those studios also are in the Lionsgate vault, barring a few exceptions. Also, of course, some of the titles under the Vestron video label are also in Lionsgate's vault. Basically, they own a ton of cult films that have never seen a Blu-ray release. Also, a ton of cult films that have not even gotten a DVD release. That's why it is so exciting that Lionsgate is finally playing ball. Because companies like Scream Factory and Arrow have tried to release Lionsgate titles in the past and no dice. So now that Lionsgate finally decided that they're not going to sub-license their titles, they're just going to release them on their own. Now we have this cool label with tons and tons of potential releases in the future. Alright guys, before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, which is Chopping Mall, I kinda gotta explain one more thing, and that's what the hell I'm gonna be doing. Well, I already mentioned a little bit of what I'm gonna be doing, but I wanted to break it down a little bit more so you guys understand what this show is about. Now the show is obviously about the Vestron releases, but it's not just about the movie. It's about the release. So I'm gonna be breaking down these releases as in-depth as possible. Everything from starting with the presentation and the packaging to video menus, the film itself, audio and video, special features, and anything else I could think of. That is the point of this, to be as in-depth as possible. So, if you've heard me in the past, I do certain kind of reviews called A Closer Look At, which I review the special features. So, that's going to be kind of what this is and hopefully a little bit more even. Alright guys, so before I get into Chopping Mall, I wanted to give my very first impressions on this line and also kind of mention that at the time of me recording this, there are actually 9 releases that have either been released or are slated for an upcoming release within the next couple months, so I got a lot of catching up to do guys. Now my first impressions of this line when they were first announced, they announced Chopping Mall. And then shortly after that, they announced Blood Diner. I gotta say, I love the look of keeping the old artwork. So now we've seen with companies like Scream Factory and Arrow Video, there are a lot of newly commissioned artwork. And it was really cool at first, but I think it's kind of played out now. And I almost want a return to form with just the original artwork from the release, uh, you know, with a, a few variables. So I like that they kept the original artwork on the announcements of the release. The slipcovers were numbered which is also very cool because it makes them more collectible but it also has a negative in that if you want to collect the line you can't really not get a release if you want to see them look cool on the shelf with all the numbers. It's definitely an incentive for people to buy all of the releases which can be frustrating for certain collectors, but I actually happen to like it as long as they don't flood the marketplace with release after release after release to where it's really, really hard to realistically keep up. Which is definitely my biggest fear when it comes to collecting a line that all of a sudden releases will come at a high pace, you know, five, six, seven releases a month is just way too many right now they're keeping it to one to two releases a month which is exactly what i think it should be and that makes me you know feel a little bit more comfortable but the company is still very young so we'll see how it goes another huge thing that i noticed right away was the amount of special features that were included on the very first release and I was really happy about that because I love special features and I think when you're charging a high price for a release a collector's edition it needs to have a lot of special features in order for a collector to want to grab it it's a, it's a, it's a very big negative of mine if a release is you know $26 and it has two special features. It's just not worth it. You have to give the collector a reason to spend that kind of money. The last thing that I noticed was definitely sort of a negative in my first impressions and that was the price point. I think these things were under pre-order for around $30. It eventually went down to about $26 and finally you were able to get them uh, depending on if you struck while a deal was hot for about $22, $23 and I've seen some people get them as low as $20 which is awesome that that happened but at the same time starting that high to begin with is kind of madness and if there's one huge negative that I took away from this line in general is that the price point is still a little too steep and those were my first impressions. Now let's get into the very first release. It has the number one on the spine. It is chopping mall from the year 1986 it was released on blu-ray over the summer of 2016 that is september 27th of the year 2016 and when i got this release in my hands i was thinking wow this is a really really nice cover i really like the slip cover that they chose they have the nice border at the top it's silver, it's simple, and it has the Vestron video logo, but it adds that nice line look to it. Of course, they have the original theatrical art, which is um, the uh, robot hand with the shopping bag This says, "Shopping mall, where shopping costs you an arm and a leg. The tagline is on it. I will say that this slipcover is very glossy. Now... Certain people do not like these style of slip covers because the glossy slip covers uh, show fingerprints very easy. That never really bothered me. Uh, the slip cover is an interesting little piece because uh, it, it it kind of adds a, a, another level to the collecting. People obsess over the slip covers, and I do as well. If I'm being honest, once you have films on a shelf you know and their spine is sticking out and you have three with a slipcover, one without one and then another three with a slip cover it just looks ugly so that is a tactic that these companies use where they only print the slipcovers for a certain amount of time and then they uh, make it very hard to find them with slip covers scalpers take advantage of this sell them on ebay things like that so the slipcover debate is an entire debate in itself uh it it definitely sort of um pushes the collector to grab the release within the first couple months so that they uh ensure themselves in in getting a slipcover but if you ask my boy moods sometimes that doesn't even work and you still get screwed out of the slipcover uh man i hate the slipcover debate but it is there so um i did feel like i should mention it And on the inside, it actually is one of those eco-friendly cases which I know people hate and when you spend the amount of money that you do on these releases, you do expect that the release is a little more sturdy. Uh, People have told me horror stories of the eco-friendly case actually being easy to puncture and holes rip between the uh, hole in the eco-friendly case, the little recycle logo and the paper and the plastic get pushed through. Uh, Just not very good stuff at all. I really, really hope Lionsgate decides to abandon the eco-friendly case and go for something a little more sturdy. Let's keep the eco-friendly cases for cheap releases, but when you have a premium product, let's get a little hard uh, case that's a little more durable up in there. So that is a a negative right away. And also, this is actually only a Blu-ray. It is not a Blu-ray DVD combo, which is interesting considering there are so many Blu-ray DVD combos now that you... You think that it, you almost expect it at times and it's always interesting when it's just the Blu-ray. Uh, the cover art on the disc is that it is the same as the cover art on the uh, slip cover and the uh, insert. So when you pop in the Blu-ray you get a cool little Vestron video logo, the newly designed logo, which is like these mechanical arms putting it together and some cool music and stuff. Very nostalgic, very, very, very cool to see that logo reborn. And then you get to the menu itself, it's kind of a basic menu, it has clips from the movie with the score of the film playing in the background and at the bottom of the screen is the actual menu, you know, same similar stuff, play movie, uh, scene selection, special features, setup, stuff like that. Uh, Nothing too, too uh, different there but you know, it has a little sound effect when you move the cursor so that's pretty cool. Oh, one other thing that I wanted to mention about the menu is that... The setup menu is actually not where the commentaries are listed, which is not what I'm used to. Most of the time you go into setup to play your commentaries, but they're actually listed under the special features tab on this release. Definitely not a complaint, just something of note. Also when you select the commentaries, you will see the first two, and then the third one actually has 2004 in parentheses, which indicates that it is an old commentary, which I actually really like. I wish more releases would uh, tell you. Oh, this is a archive special feature that we ported over by having the year in parentheses. So, big nod to Vestron for that. Now let's get into the review. We have Chopping Mall 1986 with a tagline of Where Shopping Costs You an Arm and a Leg. They broke into the mall for the wildest all-night party of their lives. It dead meat. But you're never alone in the Chopping Mall. What's that? Robot man. Chopping Mall. Where shopping costs you an arm and a leg.. So the storyline courtesy of IMDB: a group of teenagers that work at the mall all get together for a late night party in one of the stores. When the mall goes on lockdown, before they can get out, the robot security system activates after a malfunction and goes on a killing spree. One by one, the three bots tried to rid the mall of the intruders. The only weapons the kids can use are the supplies in the other stores, or if they can make it till morning when the mall opens back up. Something about the IMDb descriptions always sound weird at some point in the description. Anyway, that's what we're rolling with. Uh, Let me get into my thoughts on the film. I love that this film is set in a shopping mall. I think it's so cool. There's not enough horror films set in malls. And I would do anything to get more films set in malls. And this film is a very low-budget sort of B-movie. And it definitely has that B-movie feel. But because it's set in a mall, I think it definitely elevates the film to a different level. Because it feels bigger than it actually is and I like that about it. It's a very charming movie, the characters are very likable and fun, even though they are sort of written one-dimensional for the most part, giving a few exceptions to a few characters. But for the most part, they are one-dimensional, and they are being picked off one by one in ridiculous ways, and the whole concept of this film is very ridiculous, with the kill bots coming to life and you know the very idea that they would have these robots advanced technology in a shopping mall to sort of uh be the security guards is kind of ridiculous it's also ridiculous that they get hit by lightning and it causes them to malfunction and going go on killing sprees it's ridiculous that these robots have the power to kill people and have lasers and stuff it's just a whole bunch of ridiculous and if you can accept it you can enjoy it But it does sort of hinder the film a little bit in terms of just kind of dumb. It's kind of dumb at times, which I'm okay with, but it's not going to be a super highly rated film of mine. Uh, I like the mall setting. It's just one of the coolest settings in the world. Uh, I love looking at the different stores, and it just sort of has a hypeness to it. It's also ridiculous that the mall is able to be stayed in overnight by these teenagers. Um, There's a whole lot of ridiculous going on in this film. And I think it does hurt it, but it doesn't hurt it to uh, the point that it kills the film. There are really cool kills in this film. There's a cool little cameo by Dick Miller. Uh, it's a very fast-paced film, a lot of action going on. The film only runs 76 minutes, so it, it, it goes by super fast. Uh, it's fun to follow the characters. There's some, you know, really, really funny moments in this film. You know, unintentionally funny and intentionally funny uh, moments in the film. There's nudity. Uh, it definitely is a fun little romp. But but uh, some people do consider it a slasher film because uh, the characters get picked off one by one and sort of, um, you know, unique kills type of ways uh, I've never actually considered this film a slasher film I do think it has some of the slasher tropes such as the characters being picked off one by one and some sort of uh, you know certain elements that that lend to uh, future slasher films and past slasher films but I think that they're very minimal and I think the tropes are just just very little and uh, not enough to really call it a slasher film uh, the, the fact that they are robots and and you know it just it just doesn't feel like a slasher film to me but that's my own opinion. Chopping Mall is a very fun movie however that does not make it a very great movie there's a lot of silliness going on in this film a lot of suspending your disbelief a lot of ridiculousness as some of which I've mentioned but there's even more that I didn't mention and I think that kind of hurts the film a little bit some people will say well that's the charm and that's what actually helps the film maybe to you not to me I do really like this movie, but I don't consider it a great movie and that's why I'm gonna have to give it a 6.5 out of 10, so that's a 6.5 out of 10, still a respectable rating. It's a very fun movie and I like it, it's just not a great movie. Alright, for special features we have audio commentaries, one with director co-writer Jim Wynorski, actress Kelly Marooney and co-writer-slash-second-unit-director Steve Mitchell. The second commentary features historian and author Nathaniel Thompson of Mondo Video and Ryan Turek of Shock You Drop. The third commentary features director-co-writer Jim Wynorski and co-writer-slash-second-unit-director Steve Mitchell. It also features an isolated score track and a trailer, as well as featurettes Back to the Mall, Chopping Chopping Mall, the Killbots, Scoring Chopping Mall, The Robot Speaks, The Lost Scene, Army of One, and Chopping Mall Creating the Killbots. So the first thing I checked out was the first of Count 3 audio commentaries. The first one was with director and co-writer Jim Wynorski, actress Kelly Maroney, and co-writer slash second unit director Steve Mitchell. This commentary was... A lot of fun, but it was one of those technical commentaries. It seemed like they pointed out a lot of the technical uh, aspects of the film. They did get a little bit into the pre-production and post-production. A lot of the uh, relationships between everybody. A lot of reminiscing on the fact that this film that they didn't really think much of has went on to be a huge cult hit and, you know, talk about conventions and, and the different love that this film has uh, received over the years as well as the people involved with the film. Uh, Just sort of more of a lighthearted commentary with a bit of technical analysis of the film. I learned a little bit. I did not know that Angus Scrim was actually uh, a... Member in the group of people that was receiving the uh, security robot demonstration. Uh, It is, uh, he just has a little cameo. He doesn't, I'm not even sure if he has a speaking line, but he's uh, there, and I learned that about the film. I also just learned uh, that the the robots were not metal at all. They were, uh, you know, plastic and uh, different aspects. Uh, I never really realized that the robots all sort of had personalities and the actress Kelly Maroney actually pointed that out. Uh, that she thought that they had different personalities, which kind of added a a different perspective to the film that I never thought of. I guess subconsciously I might have knew that, but uh, she pointed it out really definitely, uh, made me see the robots in a slightly more elevated and uh, depthful type of way. Uh, So yeah, this commentary was pretty solid, uh, nothing mind-blowing. I didn't learn a ton, but it was definitely uh, a cool commentary. The second of the three audio commentaries features historian and author's nathaniel thompson of mondo video and ryan turk formerly of shock to drop now an executive at blumhouse Uh, this commentary is really a fan commentary it's it's a perspective of people who were not in the film who have no stock in the film just talking about why they love the film we hear these guys sit back like buddies and just reminisce over the old days of 80s horror films and malls and uh, laser disc collecting and vhs collecting and just just horror fans talk as they are watching chopping mall and talking about their first experiences with chopping mall uh, their first experiences with horror and other things in the genre Uh, just a really really neat commentary nothing mind-blowing not a whole lot of facts in this one they talk a lot about malls and their significance in films and lack thereof. In present day. The commentary is not that of what you would expect out of a commentary in which it was suggested that it was a film historian doing the commentary because uh, they don't really get into the history of the film too much. Uh, it's not too technical, it's not really that exciting, but it is really fun to hear these two men who love the genre clearly, love Chopping Mall, and have went on to become part of the industry talk about this hidden gem, this uh, 80's cult film chopping mall. Uh, Solid commentary, really really good stuff. The third and final commentary on the disc features director and co-writer Jim Wynorski and co-writer and second unit director Steve Mitchell. This commentary is actually a retro commentary, meaning that it was pulled from the original Lionsgate release way back in 2004. So this is not a new commentary to the Vestrom release, but actually just a ported-over commentary from the old Lionsgate release. Just because it is an older commentary does not mean it is bad. In fact, this is the best commentary on the disc. It is very similar to the first commentary. There are a lot of overlaps, but that's to be expected because uh, they are talking about the same film. Uh, so you're going to have shared stories, but I feel like the stories in this commentary, they elaborate on a little bit more. It's less jumbled and all over the place and more specific. As the film goes along, they point out the backstory behind the scene, shooting it, uh, the thought process of going into the scene, different things like that. But it's not only that either. They don't just focus on, well, then she walks into the room and then she goes out of this room like that that's not what they're doing here they're having fun with it they're they're looking at the film and talking about their thought process as a filmmaker but they're also having fun with what's happening on screen telling behind the scenes stories there's a story where they talk about the production of the film and how it came together in probably about two weeks from from nothing to greenlit in two weeks you know uh, they basically was going to make a phantom of the mall film uh, and then they decided like "Ah uh, nah that's really not what we want to do so they it was like hey what about robots and then they just rolled with it that was a really cool story also heard how jim Wynorski broke one of his ribs trying to do a stunt just for the hell of it because he wanted to try it didn't really tell anybody uh there's a lot of backstory in this one and honestly both commentaries the first commentary and this one are are very similar but this one is just more focused and it's probably the better commentary to listen to Uh, you'll get pretty much the same stories but this one is just a little bit better Uh, so if you are going to listen to one commentary on the disc i do recommend going with the third commentary uh, because it is it is probably the best one the next feature is a isolated score track now i have heard of an isolated score track before but i've never really noticed them or actually seen them on a disc as a special feature but apparently it's when you play the movie without any dialogue or effects noises and it's all just score now I'm not exactly sure why somebody would want to listen to that or watch the movie that way I could understand why people would want to listen to the music, but I don't really understand why people would want to watch the movie that way. Um, I watched probably a half hour of it, and it just seemed very, very mundane and kind of pointless to me. Uh, I, I don't want to hate on it too much, but it really is just listening to the music and then not and that's my biggest beef with an isolated score track, I guess, especially for Chopping Mall, is that there's so many moments where there's no score, so you're just watching a silent movie at that point that is not a silent movie. Um, I, I would have much rather preferred like a soundtrack or something as you know, a disc or even just on the DVD than an isolated score track. I, I don't really get them. Maybe maybe some people out there do understand them and do like them. Um, I guess it's a cool little bonus considering it, it doesn't really take up much space and it's just, it's like extra, but um, I say skip that as a feature. First up for the featurettes, we have Back to the Mall. It runs 26 minutes and 29 seconds. It is about 25 minutes without credits, uh, basically your standard tell-all style Uh, interviews where the cast and crew talk about uh, their experiences with the film and their experiences after the film and it's all intertwined with clips of the movie uh, typically the stuff they're talking about and yeah it's it's really cool you know I, I love seeing these featurettes where you have this cast and crew years and years later you know present day talking about a film they made back in 1986 and how it affected their lives and, uh, it's always cool to just hear the behind-the-scenes stories. And we get a lot of the early stuff, you know, the initial writing phase of the film, Wynorski and Mitchell, uh, talking about how they had their relationship, how it was bittersweet at times, you know, they would, they would clash heads, but then they'd be real cool when they'd work it out and stuff, um, which is always cool. You can see that dev- definitely everybody in this film had a ton of fun making the film, and, uh, you know, it's cool to see them reflect on, you know, the filming and uh, just their favorite moments of the film. Uh, the film was initially called Robot. You know, they changed the title to Chopping Mall, which is a much better title. Uh, they talk about, you know, the different uh, experiences they have with fans and and how the film has really become a cult film and all the different uh, experiences they've had with receiving Um, you know, fan mail, and conventions that they appeared at, uh, screenings that they appeared at, things like that. It's it's just, you know, very, very cool, and it makes you feel good that a film like this, uh, you know, a dead teenager movie could, you know, impact their lives that significantly. Um, A movie that they probably thought would just be, you know, something that they made, and then It would go away. Um, Kelly Maroney, who played Allison, actually looks really good. She looks better now than she did in the original film, in my opinion. Um, You know, they didn't have a casting director on this film. Uh, They did the casting themselves, you know, Norsky and stuff. So that's pretty cool that they, they got all these people because these people really are cool. Of course, the legendary Barbara Crampton, but one person that they didn't get to talk to for this interview... Uh, was Susie Slater, who I was probably most interested in, in hearing about. You know, she was in Savage Streets, and she uh, has, you know, uh, an iconic nude scene in this film, and probably just the character that I find uh, the coolest, I guess, uh, the one that I'm most interested in. Uh, she didn't get to talk at all, but they did talk a lot about their nude scenes, both the from the male perspective of doing the sex scenes and the female perspective of being nude, which um, is always super uncomfortable. Uh, just just a really fun featurette. I highly recommend checking out this featurette. It's um, it's, it's exactly what you would want out of a look back at Chopping Mall, uh, back to the mall. Next up is a featurette titled Chopping, Chopping Mall, which runs 8 minutes and 19 seconds. It features an interview with editor Leslie Rosenthal and also secondary interviews by Jim Wynorski and... Steven Mitchell, uh, this is sort of a reflection on how the film was put together. Not so much in the actual editing technical aspect of the film, but more just how the film came together. Uh, they do touch briefly on editing the head explosion scene, what they dub as the second greatest head explosion in movie history next to of course david Cronenberg's scanners uh, they mentioned roger corman and having his blessing throughout the film they also mentioned how vibrant the film looks and how great it looks with this new transfer done by vestron a pretty cool interview nothing too insightful there but um a nice little reflection on the film all right homies the next feature at is talking about the kill bots it runs 12 minutes and 11 seconds it primarily focuses on a interview with Robert Short who is the creator and the designer of the now famous Killbots of Chopping Mall. It also features interviews from the typical cast of characters, Wynorski Mitchell as well as Barbara Crampton and a few others. This one's actually really cool. We get to see some concept art from the original sketches of what the Killbots were going to look like. They were much more um, humanoid looking at one time and then they kind of... Uh, evolved into a tank-like shape with the tank treads and and more of a sleek-looking design. And and it really was cool to see the different versions of what the Killbots were going to look like. And you could see that it it, could have really turned the movie um, into sort of a less iconic film, depending on which design they chose. I I feel like these designs uh, that they went with really, really are effective and are very memorable. So it was cool to hear them kind of reminisce on the different designs and, and what led them to finally settling on the design that they chose. Uh, he doesn't actually talk much about how he made the kill bots, which I would have actually liked. You know, I do know that they're made out of like a plastic material from the commentaries. But I would have liked if they sort of went in and and described how they actually put them together. They also go into how they operated. And from the sound of it they operated perfect they really weren't an issue throughout the entire film they did exactly what they needed them to do there was no technical difficulties there was actually only one scene in which they had legitimate trouble getting the killbot to do what they wanted it to and uh it was actually quite a simple scene they mentioned that they designed the robots to be able to go up the escalators to chase the characters yet When they actually went to the mall that they filmed at, the escalators were a different size, so they had to do some sort of illusion where they put the top of the robot head on a a person and had them go up the escalator. Uh, And it still turns out and looks good in the film and you don't even notice that that's what's going on. So just, you know, guerrilla filmmaking at its best. You know, some things just don't work and then you just find a way to make them work. I I love stuff like that. They also briefly get into the idea that each of these robots kind of have different personalities. Maybe would have liked to see them expand on that a little bit more. But that was actually just a really, really cool... Uh, feature out there to just hear and see the the early designs of these killbots. The next featurette is scoring Chopping Mall. It runs 11 minutes and four seconds. This one is an interview with Chuck serino who is the producer and musician behind Chopping Mall's score. He created the music. It also features interviews by Jim Waorski, Steve Mitchell as well as a few others, but it mainly focuses on Serino and his music um really kind of not really my cup of tea honestly if I'm being honest guys I've never really cared too much about hearing how the music was made because I just don't get music I I don't really know much about it I like it and I like the chopping mall score and it's kind of interesting to hear him talk about it but it's just not something that I've ever been really fascinated in it's an okay little watch if you're into scores and stuff like that check it out uh, it was cool to hear where the influences for the score came from kind of like the showdown theme of spaghetti westerns and stuff like that so kind of neat the next little featurette and when i say little i mean little is the robot speaks and it runs two minutes and twelve seconds it features steve mitchell as he asks one of the killbots a couple of questions And the Killbot is voiced by Jim Wynorski. Of course, Jim Wynorski voiced the Killbots in the original film. So it's kind of a neat little throwback. It wasn't very funny, if you ask me personally. I didn't laugh at all. But it was cool. You know, it's silly and cheesy and badly produced. But it's a fun little bonus. And I'm actually happy that they threw this on the disc as just a cool little nod to the fans. The next little featurette is The Lost Scene. It runs three minutes and one second. It features Jim Wynorski and Steve Mitchell describing a scene that was written for the film. It was in the original script, but it actually was never shot. And it follows two mall employees as they are trying to sneak a horse into the mall and potentially eat it is what I got from the description there. Uh, It is kind of funny that they never filmed this. Uh, Roger Corman produced this film paying for a horse for that little scene. It just didn't seem like something he would go for, so they never actually went through with the scene. But we actually do get to see, after they talk about the scene, we get to see the section of the script. It scrolls across the screen so you can actually read it. Um, And that's actually just really cool, you know? It's just cool for fans of this movie like super diehard fans of this movie they want to know all this information they want to hear about everything that wasn't done and and all the cool little details and stuff if you're just a casual fan you might not find it that interesting but even me as a casual fan i did find it pretty interesting and super fans will eat stuff up like this so really cool stuff the last newly produced featurette is titled army of one which runs six minutes and one second this featurette interviews Carl Simpson of Long Island, who shares his collection and passion and love for Chopping Mall. He actually owns a lot of cool pieces. He owns the last surviving working killbot, which kind of confused me because I thought in the commentary, one of the commentaries, the director said that the killbots have been uh destroyed like weather destroyed them or something like that so uh it, it was interesting to see that the the killbot is still intact uh and it's in this guy's garage so that's really cool it does not operate but it, it the, the arms work and things like that it's it's intact uh, he also shares some lobby cards and, and he has the only existing poster when the film was called Kill Bots and not Chopping Mall. He also has a film slate that was signed by all the cast and crew, Roger Corman included. Just a really goddamn cool special feature. Like, I wish that more Blu-ray releases would have more fan participation. Now, this guy seems to be a little bit more in Like, he's in the inn because it seems like he actually knows Jim Wynorski. Uh, But I would love to see more fan uh, submissions for special editions. Because, one, it costs no money. It costs no money at all to um, get fan submission. Now, if you want to film it with, you know, good cameras and, and your own setup, then, yeah, I mean, you might have to fly them out or fly to them. But for the most part... As a little bonus feature, having fans show off their collection or how much they are a fan of a certain movie. I think that's something we should see a little bit more uh, involved in the special features of Blu-rays. I think that would be really cool. But this, this is a neat little feature. It, it, it's probably one of my favorites on the disc just because it's, it's kind of a neat look at at the um, whole point of this this thing here. And that is... It's a collector. It's a collector's edition. It's it's for the fans, so why not have something that represents the fans in this release? And there is actually one more featurette on the disc, but it is not a newly produced featurette. It is titled Chopping Mall, Creating the Killbots. It runs 15 minutes and 41 seconds. It is actually ported over from the last release, which was the DVD release, Uh, from way back in yesteryear and this one is just a 15 minute interview session of Wynorski and Mitchell and they have Robert Short who created the robots and they, they just talk about the film I mean most of this stuff you kind of know by now if you watched all the other featurettes And the commentaries, they go over the same stuff again here. Uh, Not really a whole lot of new details, but it is a nice little addition um, to port that over. It always is. You, You want as complete of a release as possible, so if you can port it over, definitely port it over. And finally, the last feature on the disc is the trailer yeah it's the chopping mall trailer it only runs 50 seconds man is it cheesy i love watching these old trailers simply to see how the film was marketed and this one was marketed like an explosive action-packed you know romp and um it's funny they keep showing the very you know very very minuscule uh scene of the snakes and spiders and scorpions um, throughout the trailer, and it makes it, it almost kind of makes the film seem like it's, it's a little bit different, um, by the way that this trailer was done, they, they make that seem like it was a huge part of it, but, it o- it only runs 50 seconds, really, really, really cool, you know what I mean, um, it's, 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 uh, cheesy as hell, but, but a cool little trailer there, so that is the special features, quite a lot of special features on this release, uh, I couldn't be more happy with the special features, honestly, For the very first Vestrom release I thought that they definitely packed this thing full of features and I think if you're a really big fan of Chopping Mall you'll have a lot to enjoy uh, with these features and if you're just a casual fan you'll learn a little bit about a cool little film that was made in the 80s, 1986 to be exact. Alright, on to the audio and video section of the review. And let's start with audio. So I know very little about audio. I am a podcast editor and I edit audio yet I know nothing about audio. Uh, I don't have the greatest system set up for uh, my film watching most of the time so I can't comment on it that much. I do know that the uh, Master is a 2.0 mono track Uh, And that's kind of all I could tell you. It sounded okay to me. Now, on to the video, which I can tell you a little bit more about. But, again, I don't know a ton about, like, aspect ratios and things like that. So, if there's one weak point in the Vestron Video Horror Podcast, it is my audio and video critique. Um, I'm going to sound like an idiot most of the time. But I hope you guys are okay with that because I feel like I packed the content in the other sections of the review. The video is... Uh, good. It It's funny, because I actually watched two Arrow video releases the same day that I first watched Chopping Mall. The very first time I watched it, because after watching all these commentaries, you guys should know that I watched it, like, six times now. <laughs> you know, um, maybe it was four times, but... So, I, I watched Vamp and Chud from Arrow, and I popped Chopping Mall in right after saying, like, Arrow... They have fantastic transfers. Even their um, mediocre transfers are still above par of what most people's transfers are. But it seems like you know these two releases are not the best. And then I popped in Chopping Mall, and it popped. It looked good, and I really kind of noticed that you know Vestron stepped their game up uh, with their first release because uh, this is about as good as Chopping Mall will probably ever look. Um, it pops, and it, it actually made me realize that there are a lot of colors colors in this mall, especially in the early scenes. Everything is bright and vibrant. It's the 80s, and, and they really accentuate those colors, and the Blu-ray does a great job accentuating those colors because of the HD transfer, as well as, you know, the, the nude scenes. Um, there is not a, a ton of blood and gore in this, so um, usually... HD can, can affect that stuff, um, seeing sort of the, behind the curtain a little bit, but I will say that the optical effects that they use in the films, the lasers and lightning and stuff like that, if, if anything, um, doesn't look great in HD, it's, it's those things, um, they, they look kind of clunky at times, so, uh, with that said, I still think it's a solid, solid transfer, I, I was very happy with the transfer that was used for the chopping mall blu-ray all right guys it is time to wrap it up and with all of that said i hope you guys very much enjoyed the debut episode of the vestron video horror podcast of course we tackled chopping mall number one on the spine which had a home video release of September 27th, 2016. The original distributor was that of Concord Pictures. I had a lot of fun doing this. It took a while to put this together, but I hope you guys enjoy so I can keep doing it because I'm only going to do it if you guys want to hear it. And if we continue here, our next episode we will be covering the number two spined blood diner from 1987 this one also had a home video release on the vestron label september 27th of 2016 man blood diner is a film that i know a little bit and i'm not i haven't looked at the special features but if i have to watch blood diner three times i you guys might want to put me on suicide watch because um The first time I seen Blood Diner, I thought it was great, it was obscure, it was funny. The second time I watched Blood Diner, I was like, this is boring and not very funny. Uh, So let's see how I think of Blood Diner going into it on Blu-ray. So I'll see you guys next time. Thank you for joining me. I'm JP. You can check out all of my other shows. And please, please support the Vestron Video Label. Thank you.